Okay, okay, let's do that again. Assalamu alaikum. Alright. That was like a five out of ten. Let's do it one more time. Assalamu alaikum. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I see a lot of familiar faces, folks who I know and folks who I don't know. My name is Farouk, uh, and it's a privilege to be with all of you on a Saturday morning. Uh, we're here to study, we're here to learn, and we're here to be with each other. Alhamdulillah. So uh, I'm grateful that you all chose to spend part of your Saturday with us. Um, uh, I want to thank Amal from Umber Cafe for giving us a space. Beautiful spot. Um, uh, as you can see, there's, uh, there's some refreshments on the table, there's coffee and there's water for you uh, as well. We're going to be spending about the next hour or so studying and we have our brother uh, Mustafa Ghani leading our class who I affectionately call Gandalf. Uh, uh, so as he, uh, as, he, uh, as he leads us through uh, a very important text, uh, as he leads us through a very important and significant text within the Islamic tradition, I hope that we'll be paying attention and be learning and growing and asking critical questions when it's time for questions, inshallah. And we're going to be doing this every week for the next six weeks, God willing, in this space. Uh, and there's more in the pipes, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks uh, as those needs and those uh, conversations emerge, inshallah. Thank you again, and bismillah. اللهم افتح علينا بحكمتك وانشر علينا برحمتك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله في كل لمحة ونفس عدد ما وسعه علم الله يا عليم وعلمنا من علمك ما تنضى به عنا ولا تآخذني بما تعلمه منا يا حليم خلقنا بخلق الحلم وحققنا بحقائق العلم سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين السلام عليكم again Welcome, thank you all for coming It's very beautiful to see all of you um, My name is Mustafa and I'm very happy to be here with you all um, we started these classes, as uh, many of you were there previously, um, a few months ago. Is it possible if we could turn off the music? Yeah. Actually, yes. it's kind of, yeah. Sorry, it's a little bit distracting for me. But we started these classes a while ago, and uh, alhamdulillah, we had a really good run that time for about six weeks. And uh, it was very wonderful to share that space with uh, some of you. And there's also a lot of new faces here. But um, we took your feedback and we realized that we needed to do things a little bit differently. And uh, I'm very grateful to uh, Brother Farooq and uh, Tarjuma for uh, hosting this space and facil facilitating things to Sister Fatmi and Sister Aisha and uh, Brother Salih and everybody else whom I'm missing. But um, because it wouldn't be possible without them. Uh, but one of the reasons that we wanted to move to Tarjuma uh, is because, well, they provide a lot of logistical support, but also because um, I believe in what they're trying to do. And Tarjuma is aspiring to be a community. And if this could be one offering amongst many, inshallah, that is really an excuse for us to come together and share space with one another and learn with one another and be together, then, you know, that's a really beautiful thing. 
And so we ask Allah to facilitate that for us. One of the things I mentioned previously in the last class is the reason that I wanted to explore this text and explore it with all of you um, is because we've been going through a lot of trials together as a community. And for me personally, you know, there's a lot of people that I used to respect, people whom I considered sheikhs or teachers, leaders of the community, who have really fallen from grace and have engaged in really um, terrible acts of oppression or wrongdoing and, and really have violated the trust we had in them. And so for me, it was like after seeing them one after another fall, I just thought, like, who do I have left? And for me personally, it was all of you. And all of the beautiful brothers and sisters that God has blessed to be part of my life. And you have each other, and we have each other. And so my hope, inshallah, God willing, is that we can continue to be in this, this beautiful space but together, right? A space is only made beautiful by those who inhabit it. You know, what did the poet say? What did he say? Tell me please. I don't remember. He said, Amurru ala diari diari leyda Uqabbila dal jidara dal jidara Wa ma hubbu al-jidari shagatna qalbi Walakin hubbu man sakana diyara He said, Imrul Qais, right? He said, I pass by the dwellings, the dwellings of Layla. Imrul Qais, he's in love with Layla. Everybody's in love with Layla, whoever Layla is. But anyways, Imrul Qais loves Layla. I'm oh, sorry, I hope there's no one here named Layla, because that would be embarrassing. But anyways, I pass by the dwellings, the dwellings of Layla. I kiss this wall and that wall. It's kind of crazy, right? Like you see a, 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 a painting of Rumi here, and you kiss the wall or something like that because of Rumi. Like, what is that? You know, I kiss this wall and that wall. And it's not love of the walls or love of the homes that, that, or of the land that possesses my heart but rather love of the one who dwelled in the dwellings, right? So, you know, this space is made more beautiful by each of you, alhamdulillah. And uh, I'm very honored to be with you. Um, so this class, it's a class, we're going through a text, and we'll speak a little bit about that in a bit, but um, there is registration. You don't have to register. Um, and you're welcome to just drop by and if you want to just see how things are going or you just want to explore or something or you want to come by once in a while, you're most welcome to do so. And if you want to come regularly and you want to follow up and you want to learn uh, in a more serious way, you're welcome to do that as well. And if you're in that latter category, then you can register. That's very helpful because it gives us an, an idea of how many numbers of people are going to be there in any given week. But um, also that will give you access to uh, recordings. You see there's this little device here that records. And uh, it'll also give you access to um, notes and other resources if God puts it in the mind of this one to ever provide such things. Alhamdulillah. But um, that will be very helpful if you do want to uh, continue and you do want to take this seriously and you do really want to internalize this. And inshallah, that will really facilitate learning. So this is going to be a podcast. And, and, and hopefully that will be... Uh, a, a benefit. I suppose if you're listening to this on the recording, then it is a podcast, and it's kind of tricky, though. <laughs> anyway, right. Um, but we've chosen this very special text, The Marvels of the Heart, um, and it is because um, in order to have community, in order to build community, community must be rooted in the heart. Community must be rooted in the heart. And that starts with us as individuals, but also the heart of our community. 
And as we reflect on that, the author of our book, Imam al-Ghazali, gives us very valuable insights to begin to explore some of those topics. This is the translation of the book. Uh, our sister Falkmi arranged a, a, a group order the last time we tried to go through this text. Um, it is available online if you like PDFs, and you can also purchase it online. We may do another group order, um, but if you're interested, then please speak to Sister Fatmi. Uh, she never volunteered for that, but I just volunteered her. Alhamdulillah. Um, but I'd like to start with a little bit of an introduction to Imam al-Ghazali. Who was this man? Abu Hamid, uh, Muhammad al-Ghazali. Um, because that will give you a little bit of an idea of why it is that, that, that we're going through this text. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention, before we go, move into that aspect, um, one of the things that's very important to me as well as a community and as a community of people who are learning in this particular space is that as much as possible I would like that we could um, take down hierarchies and it's not the case that I'm sitting here and therefore I know everything and I'm imparting it to you it's really an accident of uh, history I mean I was really blessed to study these texts uh, with scholars who are connected to scholars who are connected to the Prophet not, not just in that many links, but you know, there's more links in the chain. Uh, scholars who are linked to Imam al-Ghazali, uh, who is of course linked to the Prophet himself um, But really my intention here is to learn. And God willing, I'll always be a student. Uh, we don't have a concept of graduations. and um, the moment you think you're a teacher, then you're finished. I, I'm just a student, and I'm here to learn from all of you. And this enterprise has no benefit whatsoever if... Um, it has no benefit whatsoever for me if I walk in the same... if I walk out the same way as I walked in. Uh, and so I really encourage you, if, if there's something that I say that's wrong, uh, then please share that. And you know, we'll have opportunities for questions and answers and, and hopefully other opportunities for discussions uh, where we can explore some of these ideas together. But really, you know, you're welcome to contact me, to uh, email me, to send me a, a WhatsApp note or whatever the case may be. And I really encourage that because um, I'm trying to figure these things out myself. And this is only really a benefit when, it's, when it goes two ways. Um, alhamdulillah. And, and that's part of it, you know, like when we put, put people up on, on pedestals, like I was saying, like so many scholars that I had that had really fallen from grace. When we put people up on pedestals, that's not really a healthy culture. And we need to work together and to learn together. Inshallah. But Imam al-Ghazali. Imam al-Ghazali, this great uh, scholar, was born in 1058 in the Gregorian calendar in Pus. Tus is an area in modern-day Iran. And um, so he was one of the great scholars of Sunni Persia. And he distinguished himself in his early life in law and in theology. He was a student of the great Imam al-Juwaini. Imam al-Juwaini was called Imam al-Haramain, the Imam or the master of the two Harams, of the two uh, precincts and um, he had this great distinction as, as the leading scholar of his time Al-Ghazali was blessed to study with him and Al-Ghazali was his most famous student or his most prominent student he really distinguished himself 
uh, in the outward sciences of Islam. Uh, in 1085, after Al-Juwaini passes away, Al-Ghazali joins the court of Nilam al-Mulk. So Nilam al-Mulk was a uh, powerful Seljuq vizier in Isfahan, most likely. Uh, and so this was very prestigious. And, and sometimes you have to understand, like, the ulama, the scholars at that time, you know, Imam al-Ghazali actually once said, you know, all of our sons and daughters, they're going to study um, fiqh, they're studying law. And nobody's studying medicine, like medicine is so neglected. And so he made dua, you know, God, please, you know, bless us with people who will study medicine. Unfortunately, or no, fortunately, I, I don't know, it's not, okay, whatever. But God really answered that dua, and it kind of flipped the script anyways. But um, uh, for, for, for Muslims, anyways, um, in that time, being a scholar was a very powerful means of upward mobility socially. You could get a lot of wealth, you could get a lot of prestige, you could get a lot of power through that. And Imam al-Ghazali was somebody who really distinguished himself and that was like really an upward trajectory for him. So he gets, um, you know, Nidham al-Mulk is, is, is courting him, he brings him into his court. And Ghazali starts teaching there. In 1091, he was promoted to the most prestigious and challenging professoriate uh, in the Nizamiya in Baghdad. So this was the most exalted position that anybody could hold. Politically, horizontally, right? And so he was there for about four years, and in 1095 he has a spiritual crisis. And this man who has made his whole career on his tongue, on speaking, on preaching, on teaching, all of a sudden his tongue, he's not able to speak anymore. Like he gets up and he can't say anything. And he realizes that this is a sign from God. And it reminds me of the hadith that's related by Anas ibn Malik and transmitted by Imam Ahmad. La yastaqimu imanu abdin hatta yastaqima qalbu. Wa la yastaqimu qalbuhu hatta yastaqima lisanu. Right? That the faith of a, of a servant of God will not be upright until his or her heart is upright. And his or her heart will not be upright until his or her tongue is upright. And so Imam al-Ghazali is taken, uh, he's robbed, you could say, or he's, he's dispossessed of his faculty of speech. And he recognizes that there's a problem with his heart. Now he's been speaking and he's been preaching and teaching and perhaps it was for the wrong intention. And so he leaves everything. And of course he had means, he had wealth, so he makes sure that his family is well provided for, but he realizes that he can't continue his life the way he's been doing it. And so he departs, and he leaves, he says that he's going for the pilgrimage, for the Hajj, and he goes to Damascus, 
he goes to Jerusalem, and really he's on a journey. He's on a spiritual journey. He's exploring or discovering the heart. Excuse me. It is in Jerusalem that he's in the Masjid al-Aqsa, uh, the furthest mosque, and there he, 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 he gets a job as, as a cleaner. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody recognizes him. He didn't live so there. He was cleaning. He was a janitor, if you will. And nobody would give him a second glance there. And it so happened that people, because of his fame, would teach his books. And so he was once cleaning in, in the Masjid al-Aqsa. And there was a teacher who was having a, a halaqah, a gathering of dhamma. <laughs> it's funny, okay, when you're doing Okay. He was so taken by that that he had to retreat. And I believe they still have the area that he made halwa, that he, he retreated. He was, he was in absolute seclusion, dedicating himself to God. He then went to Mecca and Medina, and thereafter, uh, he referred to Tus, where he would teach privately. Uh, later on, Fakhwan Mulk, who was again the Grand Vizier of Ahmed Sanjuk, another Sanjuk ruler of Khurasan. Uh, this vizier invited him back to Nishapur, uh, to the Nilamiyah there. And he agreed in 1106. Uh, and that was because uh, he felt that some of his teaching might be misunderstood, and he was probably right about that. So he goes back to the Nilamiyah. And please, you don't take a seat anywhere. Um, so, you know, but, but this man who's been gone for 10 years, he's not the same as he was before. And when Al-Ghazali stands up and he speaks at the Nilamiyah, after an absence of 10 years, somebody who's totally transformed, he says the same word with which he would start his lectures every time. He says, Alhamdulillah. Praise be to God, which is customary for us to start with. He says, praise be to God. And everybody just starts weeping and weeping and weeping. Because this isn't the same Ghazali who was there 10 years ago. This isn't the same man that we knew. He later returned to Pus. And he declined an invitation from the Grand Vizier of Saljuk, uh, the Sultan uh, Muhammad I, to return to Baghdad. And he passed away in 1111. God have mercy on him. With regards to the book from which the marvels of the heart comes, The Marvels of the Heart is one chapter in a larger book called the Ihyat Ulumuddin. And some of you have probably heard of that book. That's probably the most famous book for which uh, that Imam al-Ghazali ever composed. But it's interesting because, you know, some scholars mentioned that Imam al-Ghazali, his, his um, insights on, on what we call tasawwuf or Sufism, I hope that's a word that we can use here, um, but that was the tradition of purifying the heart, of rectifying the self, 
That was the science of, of, that focused on the inward life, codifying what God and His Messenger had showed us in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And you know, there were certain traditions that were problematic, that were, had nothing to do with the Qur'an and the Sunnah. You know, you take something from everybody and you leave something from everybody. So, uh, we don't have to be dogmatic about these things, but Imam al-Ghazali, you know, the Iqyat is the manual of Sufism, if you will. And yet, some scholars say that his work on Sufism was, in a sense, derivative. I mean, he took a lot from uh, Abu Talib al-Makki, his book, Qutul you know, the, the nourishment of the, of the hearts. He took a lot from previous scholars. And it's actually his most creative thinking, where the greatest brilliance doesn't really come out in the Ihyat. It actually comes out in other books. Uh, how many of you have read the Mustasfa? Show of hands, please. Take a, I'm counting. How many of you have read the Mustasfa? Is it uh, Sadr or Sad? And how many of you have read the Tahaflit? How many of you have read the Basit or the Wasit or the Wajiz? These are like staples of your, no? no. I haven't read these books either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Those are actually like some of the most brilliant books. The Mustasfa in, 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 in um, well, it's, it's, it's in legal hermeneutics, how do we interpret the law? I mean, that's the book that was really defined the brilliance of Imam al-Azali. There's nothing like it. Oh, uh, well, I could, yes, I could. So the, the that. It looks like my name, but there's <laughs> 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 that was a really great book, right? Yet nobody knows it. And nobody knows the Basil, which is huge, you know, in, in, in the fifth Shafiri. Nobody knows these books. Uh, but everybody knows the Ihya. Many people have heard of the Ihya. And nobody even knows the book of uh, Abu Talib al Baki and Qulub. I read that one too. Good. Um, yes, the nourishment of the hearts. Nobody knows that book, even though Ghazali took a lot from it, right? And and that's one of the secrets in 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 in, in our history. There's like so many reams and reams of books, manuscripts. Like scholars wrote a lot of stuff over the fourteen hundred years that. We've had a scholarly tradition. Our scholars wrote a lot. A lot of those books were destroyed. And a lot of those books were lost forever. A lot of those books, the vast majority of those books, they have very similar content, and yet they're just stuck as manuscripts. Manuscripts that may never be published in, in arcane libraries that nobody visits. And then you have other books like uh, the Ihya, Right, which is not only well published in Arabic, but it's translated into so many languages. It's translated into English. It's well read throughout the Muslim world. Wherever I've gone, there have, I've always found scholars who love the Ihya, who love the Ghazali. In Indonesia, the way that they study their whole curriculum revolves around the world of Ghazali. And of course, Imam Ghazali, in many ways, is a man of his time. Uh, and yet, and, and so, you know, there are certain things that you have to recognize in that regard. There are certain things you have to be aware of. That there are certain things perhaps that might not be applicable. Certain things with which you or I might not agree. 
Yet the insights you put forward are really so timeless. How do we understand our hearts? What are our hearts? How do we refine our hearts? What affects our hearts positively and negatively? How do our hearts grow and be nourished and transformed? All of these questions that are questions that really relate to uh, the human condition, something that transcends culture or space or time. And so that's why he's so celebrated. But it was the secret in his writing of that process of transformation, of inward transformation, that made his words so powerful. Right? And he may have said the same words in his book that other scholars had said. And yet their works are in manuscripts. And his work was published. And that is the secret of acceptance. That is the secret of his, his sincerity. Another great scholar, Imam Nawawi, was also one of the lights of my heart. Right? Imam Nawawi, he wrote all of these books in hadith and fiqh and stuff. All of the books of Imam Nawawi got kubul. All of the books of Imam Nawawi were accepted. Like by the Muslim community. And all of his books are very well published. Very well known. Again, a lot of what he wrote was uh, verbatim things that previous scholars had said. If you look at his commentary on the Sahih of Imam Muslim, right? 90% of that is taken directly from Baldi Riyal, who was a previous scholar. And yet, Imam Nawawi's commentary has received acceptance like nobody else. That was the secret in his heart. Many Muslim homes, in the past, every Muslim home would have a copy of Riyadh al-Saniqi, this collection of hadith, that's really like practical, practical Sufism, that's, that's sort of the intent with which Imam Nawawi wrote it. Right? How do we learn from the Quran, from the Hadith specifically? How do we learn to comport ourselves and to live in the world as believers? Right? Almost every home has a copy of that. So that's the secret of sincerity in these books. That was the secret of Wazali. And so as we move into the actual book, why do we study the marvels of the heart? Why do we want to learn about the heart? What's the importance of this? My own teacher, with whom I was blessed to read this text in some depth, uh, Dr. Umar Farooq Abdullah, I remember one time we were uh, sitting together, or we were walking, I don't remember. But he said to me that, you know, I really believe that after the Aqidah, after learning our basic creed, the things that every Muslim must believe, that this is our next, this is the second obligation. Knowing the heart. Knowing what affects it. Knowing how to nurture it. Knowing how to be in the world. But this is our very next obligation. And why is that? Knowing the heart is the whole point of existence. Is the whole point that you're here. God says in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقُتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا يَعْبُدُونَ And I have not created the jinn and humanity except that they should worship me. Except that they should worship me. And one of the earliest tafsirs, one of the earliest interpretations of this verse that's attributed to the companion Ibn Abbas and some of the early Muslims, is that لِيَعْبُدُونَ So that they worship me here means لِيَعْرِفُونَ So that they know me. 
I have not created creation except that I be known. In other words, right? And that makes sense because the whole purpose of worship isn't so that you just go up and down and, and make these uh, movements. The whole purpose of worship is so that you know God, so that you develop this relationship with God. The point isn't that you go up in this way and down in that way and you go prostrate and so forth. Um, because if it was the actions itself, I can do any other actions too. Like what's so special about those actions? Of course they're profoundly symbolic. All of these actions are symbolic. But they're only, they only have meaning because of the context of being an act of devotion to the, the Most High. So the whole purpose of being here is so that we know God. We cannot know God until we know ourselves. And we cannot know ourselves until we know our hearts. Um, and so knowledge of the self Knowledge of the self begins with knowledge of the heart. Knowledge of who we are begins with knowing our hearts. When we speak about knowing the heart, and when we speak about the heart in the context of, of this text, for example, or when we speak about the heart in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, right? Or when we speak about the heart in ancient spiritual traditions, there is this broad recognition that the content of your character is your heart. But when we speak about that heart, we're not referring specifically to this lump of flesh here. Of course, the heart is an amazing organ. And it's very powerful. But primarily, we are referring to your spiritual heart. Or the super heart, you might call it. And when you think of the heart in your body, you think of this really powerful organ that pumps uh, however many liters, you have like five to six liters of blood in your body, and you know, your heart beats like 60 to 100 times per minute on average. So I mean, you do the math, but like hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of liters being pumped throughout your whole life. And it just, if it were to stop, like you would stop. You don't even think about it. Like, how often do you think about this little organ? It's like, was my heart working? Can we check it out? Nobody does that, right? Maybe if you have a pacemaker, but in any case, right? Um, you anyway, still, you can't, you can't really do anything about it if it's not working. Like, you're not going to operate on yourself. Anyways, right? Um, but, like, you know, it's constantly doing that. I mean, we're not even conscious of that. But just as the heart is so essential to your life, your heart is your life itself. So too for your physical life, so too for your spiritual life. Your spiritual heart is that organ that pumps the blood and invigorates and brings life to your spirit, to your ruling. And that is the essential, or, or that is how essential that heart is. And that is why we explore that heart, and that is why we discuss that heart. God says in the Quran, يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَا مُوْ وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَ اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ 
on a day, speaking of the day of judgment, when wealth and children, sons, large families, power essentially, would be of no benefit. Nothing would benefit except for the one who comes to God with a sound heart. Anything in this world will fade. And it is the content of your character, who you are, that remains. He says elsewhere, Speaking of the garden, He said, this is what you have been promised. For every one who perseveres, and constantly turns back to God. Uh, those who fear the All-Merciful, uh, when they're alone, and come forward with penitent hearts. Again, the focus is on the heart. The garden is the reward for the sound heart. And what is even greater than the garden, companionship, being with God Himself, being with the Messenger of God, being with this beautiful company. Inshallah we be there together just as we're here now. That is the reward of the sound part. Just as the fire is the recompense for the corrupt heart. It's related by a Nurmanul Bashir that he heard the Prophet say as part of a longer hadith that's related by Imam al Bukhari and Muslim. That the Prophet, may God bless him and his family and wealth in, in peace, said, Indeed, there is in the body a morsel, a piece of flesh, that if it is sound, then the whole body is sound. And if it is corrupt, then the whole body is corrupt. Indeed, it is the heart. And so again, as we speak about the physical body, if your heart is wrong, if your heart is, 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 is ill, God protect you all, and your families, and your parents, and your grandparents, and everybody. But if your heart is unwell, that affects your lungs, that affects your kidneys, that affects your whole body. If your heart is unwell, then your whole body is unwell. And if your heart is sound, then your whole body will be sound. And likewise with your spirit, if your heart, if the heart of the magic, if your spiritual heart is sound, your spirit will be sound. And if your spiritual heart is ill, then your spirit will be ill. But the heart really, the spiritual heart, is really this amazing faculty. It's this amazing way of being and, and living and experiencing the world. It is the way that humanity has been honored above and beyond all of creation. Right? Because this spiritual heart is not a treasure that's given to everybody. It's only given to the human being. 
It is the human's beauty and perfection and pride in this life. Just as it is her treasure and provision in the next life. And it is the very means by which we come to know God. And in fact, when God speaks about revelation in the Qur'an, He says, in one verse for example, نَزَلَ بِهَا الْرُوحُ الْأَمِينَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ He said that a trustworthy spirit, meaning Gabriel, has come down with it upon your heart. He didn't say He revealed it to your brain, or He revealed it to your stomach, or He revealed it to your whole being even. He said He revealed it upon your heart so that you would be one of the warders. And the Prophet of course had the greatest knowledge of God, and we follow him in seeking that. But that, the locus of that knowledge was his heart. The place of that knowledge was his heart. And so as we increase in knowledge of God, the place of that is our spiritual hearts. All other faculties, all other organs, all the rest of our being are just servants of our hearts. And our hearts are who we are. Our hearts are who we are. When I say I, or I say you, I'm referring to my heart and to your heart. That is the reality of our being. It is the heart that is saved or damned. It is the heart that is obedient or disobedient. It is the heart that is praised or blamed. And it is the heart that is expanded or veiled. And insofar as all of the faculties, like your limbs, your senses, your character, are merely servants of the heart. So too it is the case that all of those outward things that show up, right? The way you move, the way you walk, the way you do things in the world, the good things that you do for people, the bad things that you do, all of that is a reflection of the heart. In Arabic, there is a saying, that every container only pours forth what it contains. Right? Like if I took this glass of water and I poured it out, water would come out. If I took this glass and poured it out, water would come out. You wouldn't see that, like now it has water and I pour it out and while I'm pouring it becomes wine or something like that. Right? Because it can only pour out what it contains. If there were wine in this glass and I poured it, then wine would come out. If there were uh, jelly beans and I poured it, then jelly beans would pour out, right? A, a container only pours out what it, what it contains. And so your heart only pours out what it contains. And that shows up as your actions, your speech, the way you live in the world, and so forth. And it's from that perspective that we say that, you know, the next one of the really re important reasons that we need to learn about our hearts is because all of the corruption that we see on the outside, everything that's wrong with the world, ultimately is rooted in hearts. 
Ultimately, it's rooted in heart. All of the oppression, all of the wrongdoing, everything that hurts comes back to a heart. And that goes from the most simple things, from like the microaggressions that we have towards each other, the slips of speech, whatever the case may be, the little ways that we hurt each other. That's a reflection of our hearts. To all of the big ways in which people oppress each other, tyrants and dictators and things of that nature. All of that is a reflection of hearts. And in saying that, in saying that, I'm not trying to say that, you know, if you're oppressed or you're hurt, that it's your fault because you have a corrupt heart or something like that. That's not the point. Yes, indeed, the person who's hurting you or corrupting you, that person has a corrupt heart. But the point is that when we as individuals, we as families, we as communities, we as societies don't take our hearts seriously, then we collectively see the results of that. We see greed and avarice and arrogance and uh, misappropriation and so forth, corruption on a national scale, on an international scale. And that's a reflection of what we prioritize as societies, as communities, as families, and as individuals. And so if we want to set right those big situations, we have to begin right here. We have to begin with working on ourselves. And that's also not to say that, you know, if you see tyranny and oppression in the world, or somebody's hurting you, if there's abuse or something like that, God forbid and God protect us all. That's also not to say, you know, go into your room and, and make dhikr and, you know, don't, don't do anything about it. Don't be civically engaged, don't, do, don't have any political involvement. Or, that's not what we're saying at all, right? Because it often is the case that in rectifying that outward situation, that you rectify your heart itself. Martin Ling's God have mercy on him. He said that, you know, the closest thing to a man's heart is his clothing. And... Sorry, the closest thing to a man's heart is his clothing and his home, right? And, you know, the way you dress, the way you keep your home or your immediate surroundings, that says a lot about you. And if we, we go from that point of departure, it would be absurd to say, oh, the house is messy, just make some thicker, right? Because it's in a right? Like, it would be absurd, right? The house is in disarray. And there's garbage and so forth. This makes them think, no, right? You have to actually work on cleaning the house. And in cleaning the house and setting things right on the outside, then actually that has a very profound effect on your heart. And that's really beneficial. And just as you put things or, uh, in the right places and you fix things and you clean things up, at the very same time you're cleaning things up in your heart. And you're putting things right in your heart. You're putting them in the right places and so forth. It's beautiful the way that works out. And likewise, when the world is so wrong, when there's so much wrong with the world, it's not sufficient. Yes, you do need to make the good. And yes, you do need to retreat and be uh, alone with God. But it's not enough to say the world is, 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 is hell and, and, and I don't want to have anything to do with it. We have to set things right in the world around us. And we have different roles in that regard and different uh, capacities to, to help in that. But it is often in speaking truth to a tyrant, in speaking our own truths, and standing up for what's right, that that has a profound effect on our hearts. 
inspiring our hearts with courage, with righteous anger, with justice, witnessing God as al-adl, justice, justice itself. All of that is very powerful. But ultimately, a sound Muslim political engagement or a civic involvement or whatever the case may be must be rooted in knowledge of the heart. It must be rooted in the very purpose for which we were created, the very purpose for which we are here, which is to know the truth, which is to be with God, which is to earn the pleasure of God. And when those two things come together, then you have something really beautiful. Then you have something really powerful. And that is actually very powerful in the context of Ghazali himself. Because if you paid attention to the dates, right? He lived in uh, 1058 to 1111, right? When did he go to Jerusalem? Does anybody remember? Or anybody right now? That's okay if you didn't. Uh, I'll spare you, sir. But anyways, he went to Jerusalem in 1095. What else was happening in Jerusalem in 1095? The first crusade, right? And so that's very, very interesting. He was there right at that time. And he wasn't there for very long. And scholars said, well, what was the contribution of Ghazali to the crusades? Like, why did he do anything about what was going on around him? And I believe it was Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi, who's one of the great scholars and, uh, you could say, ideologues behind political Islam. He is a great scholar. I respect him, and I've benefited a lot from him. We don't have to necessarily agree with everything a person says. But I believe it was Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi who said that his contribution to the Crusades, or to fighting the Crusades, was the Ihya. And I apologize if I misquoted him or misattributed that. Uh, but this is somebody who was very, very, very politically involved. And he recognized the importance of that, of that book. And so you see that when uh, Al-Ghazali is leaving Baghdad, and he's going to Damascus and Jerusalem, at the very same time there's a young man coming into Baghdad, and almost certainly they crossed paths. And this man, this young man who crossed paths with Ghazali, was one of the great lovers of Ghazali. His name was Abdul Qadir al Jilani. He's one of the lights of my heart. When I was born, I was named after him. And Abdul Qadir al Jilani, may God be well pleased with him, his whole project is practically implementing the insights of the Ihya putting into practice all of the things that Ghazali outlined as theory. And so you see that within the next generation, from the students of Shaykh Abdul Qadir, you have who? Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, Nuruddin Zengi, these great liberators of the Holy Land. Saladin. They all took from Shaykh Abdul Qadir al-Jilani, and they all took from al-Ghazali. And all of their forces, their troops, were rooted in a profound understanding of the heart. 
and understanding that yes, we must set things right on the outside. And we cannot stand for injustice. And we cannot stand for bloodshed. But that begins right here. And so the forces of Sheikh Abdul Qadir, sorry, the forces of Salah al-Ayyubi, for example, they are very much rooted in that Sufi tradition. And in cultivating the heart. And in setting right the outward situation, they recognized that this was ultimately a means of purifying the self. So these things lead into each other directly. <coughs> but it is because we see so much corruption, or rather, the reason that we see so much corruption, and the reason that we see so many things wrong around us, is because most of us don't have access to our hearts. Rather, what I mean to say is the corruption in the world. The reason for the corruption in the world is because most of us don't have access to our hearts. You're able to see that because of the purity of your heart. You're able to recognize that because there's something good about you. You're only able to recognize that there's wrong out there because there's something good inside of you. But there is so much wrong out there. And there is so much wrong in ourselves as well. The way we hurt each other, the way we harm each other. Intentionally or unintentionally. All of that is because most of us, the vast majority of us, don't have access to our hearts. The vast majority of us don't have access to the very purpose of existence. And so we live our lives, we fulfill our animal desires, we gain prestige and power, we step on other people, we hurt them, and we kind of run on a sort of autopilot. And, you know, you can be this way one day and that way another. And it doesn't really matter because if we don't believe in God, well, what's to stop us? Right? Survival of the fittest. And unfortunately, we see that all around the world. God says in the Qur'an, uh, in the 8th chapter of the Qur'an, in the 24th verse, I forgot to mention the, the chapters and the verses. That's useful if somebody wants to keep track of those things. But in any case, he says, And know that God intervenes between a person and his heart. Like God intervenes between a person and her heart. that between accessing a heart, like God gets in between that. And that is because we wrong ourselves. Or we submit to idle desire, and we hurt people. And then God places a barrier between our hearts, us and our hearts, as a consequence of that. Until we can't access our hearts anymore at all. And our hearts become cut off, and they die. But when we try to set things right, when we try to nurture our hearts and we try to come closer to God and we try to do set things right between people and be people of good character, be people of goodness when we embrace that path then God as a reward increases our access to our hearts increases our access to that knowledge. The heart is the means by which we have both introspection by which we can look into ourselves but also by which we're able to behold God himself 
It is the heart that beholds God in the next life. When you see God in the next life, it's not seeing in the way that I see one of you. And like you're here and you're not there, right? God isn't here or there. And you don't just see with your eyes. You see with your whole being. You see with your heart. And you can get a taste of that in this life. And that taste shows itself in the heart. And so as we come closer to God, and as we worship Him and show our loving devotion to Him, and we serve creation, we serve the brothers and sisters around us, and we serve the animals and the plants, and we do these things that are so such great value to our hearts, then God increases us in that knowledge. And conversely, when we don't live up to those standards, then God takes that away from us. As He says, That's the 59th chapter in the 19th verse. Do not be like those who forgot God. So he caused them to forget themselves. Those are the fastings. Those are the corrupt. So you see, like, you have forget God, right? Forget self. I'm sorry, I have horrible, um, what do you call it? Uh, and then you have Corruption. Don't be like those who forgot God. So we cause them to forget themselves. Those are the corrupt. Like you see that, that progression, right? This is actually everything that we've been talking about. Those who forgot God, that forgot the whole meaning, the whole purpose of existence, of being. That is called Mushahada, right? Mushahada? Yeah, I, I'm not going to actually say that word because nobody will understand what I'm talking about. But anyways, those who forgot God, and God protect us from being that way, who, who lost the whole purpose of existence. As a consequence of that, God caused them to forget themselves. God, God gets between a person and his or her heart. So because they forgot the whole purpose of existence, they forgot about the meaning of existence, God caused them to forget themselves. He caused them to forget, to lose sight of their hearts. And because they didn't have access to their hearts anymore, then they became corrupt. Then they started doing harm in the world. Then they started hurting people. They started oppressing themselves. Then they started rebelling against the truth and trying to suppress it and hide it. Then they started doing all of these evil things, living a life of flesh, with nothing more meaningful than that, of greed and lust, arrogance, all of these things. These things follow from one another. These things follow from one another. And this is why God calls us to be mindful of our hearts. To be mindful of Himself. So that we can connect to that purpose. And so that we can have righteous action in the world. Action that's a benefit to the people around us. Benefit to creation. And benefit to our own selves. 
God says elsewhere, in the ninth chapter and sixty-seventh verse, they forgot God and so he forgot them. And the meaning of forgot them isn't literal because of course everything is in the knowledge of God. But it means that he did not look to them with mercy, as some of the scholars explain. They forgot God, that they were not they were heedless of God. And so he turned he turned them away. They oppressed themselves, they oppressed others. And so God has no need of them. And that is because things aren't in the right places. That is the stakes that we have before us. But when we set our hearts right, when we begin with our own little, you know, your own little plot of land or whatever the case may be, like you begin with what's, what's immediate, what you can actually act upon. You might not be able to change the whole state of the world. But perhaps you can change the way that you interact with yourself, the way you interact with your Lord, the way you interact with your mother and your sister, your son and your daughter, your spouse, the way you interact with your friends, your community. As we start to put those things in the right places, the way we engage civically, the way we engage in terms of serving the community. All of that coming from sound principle. A life that's driven by the pleasure of God. A life that's driven by truth. When we begin to access our hearts and open our hearts and nourish our hearts and nurture our hearts. Nurturing them with the life-giving water of truth. Of beauty. Then we begin to see things really beautiful. Then we begin to see that you know you might start having changes in your own life, changes in your family, changes in your community, and changes in your society. Things like this space that you know the beautiful brothers and sisters put together, that we're able to share space here. This is just a small manifestation of that, of the purity of each of your hearts. And we start to come together more and more. We come see each other in this space and other spaces. And we just grow in that capacity. And then we have something really beautiful. Where we help one another, we serve one another, we're there for one another, inshallah. And that begins to impact and have greater and greater impact. You can't do anything by yourself. But God can multiply and grow and increase your efforts in ways that are more beautiful than you could ever imagine. More beautiful than you could ever imagine. Hold on. And that starts with your hearts. That starts with your goodness. And that's the intention with which we set out to study these, these beautiful texts. We ask God to give us the capacity and the ability and the special protection and providential concern so that we're able to progress on that path. And that we can do that all together, inshallah. Um, if anybody wanted to ask any questions or, or any comments, I would really appreciate that. Please, please. I've been biting my tongue the whole time. I'm sorry. I am so happy I made it. And I'm so sad that we'll be missing the, the next few months as I'll be away. May Allah bless you. It's really opened up a lot of things, some reflections. Well, I'm going to try to be brief to give others a chance. Um, there were times where I needed some kind of a clarification, but I didn't want to intervene so you don't lose your chain of thoughts. 
Now I lost my train of thought. And I'm going to try my best. The first one, it, it's so, it, it just what hits me is, is when you talk about activism, because that was my life. I've always been an activist, political, civic, everything, since I was a kid growing up in Algeria. And I've always done it outside the Muslim community in Canada. And I, this hits me that, yeah, you can do it, even if you don't do it within the Muslim community, I can do it using the Islamic principles, because what the Muslim community doesn't necessarily want to talk about this. The, the other thing, so this was really insightful for me. The other thing is that with the heart, you're saying we should stop. That was a really opening for me too. We can spread ourselves, helping others doing and forgetting ourselves. And that's, that's really harmful to yourself also. But what do you do? And I'm not, I, I don't think that, I, I don't even know if anyone has any, 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 any suggestion I would, be, I would love to hear that. What do you do when you're so sensitive? I'm very, very sensitive. So everything that surrounds me, I am really, affects me in my heart, like if I'm, if I'm in a rather negative atmosphere. That's why a lot of these, these, these groups, it just helps me so much. And uh, so I cannot close myself, like if I see something, or it's just I have to be very careful who I am around with. Uh, that sensitivity, I wish it wasn't there, it's there. I'm old, I'm not gonna change. I don't think it's just you. And no, uh, the third one, sorry, I forgot. Sorry, the third one, the third one, and I'll stop. Um, I, I forgot. Uh, yeah. I, I apologize for that. No, 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 but, it's, it's uh, not you. It's I, I definitely don't think I that's that. I should have taken notes. No, no, thank you so much. Oh and thank you for sharing those beautiful reflections. I don't think that sensitivity is unique to you. And in fact, I think we're all like that. We're all profoundly affected by our company. We're all profoundly affected by where we choose to be and where we choose to present ourselves. We're all profoundly affected by the actions that we do. We're all profoundly affected by the way in which we live in the world. And those are some of the topics, inshallah, God willing, that we will be exploring through, through the course of this text. Imam Ghazali again has really beautiful insights about some of those things. And ultimately these, these, these insights became really fruitful when we live them. And we live our lives in accordance with them. And we take what's of benefit to us. And we move forward in that regard. I remember that third comment. Okay. What I've noticed in my life and was really very troublesome throughout my life is that sometimes you go to an event like this, it's beautiful, it's raw, it's whatever. And then we go to the reality of the world work and we see the same person who was, it's like we, we, we put a, I don't know, I forgot the term, but we compartmentalize our lives. I cannot be a practicing Muslim here and then when I go to work I forget about the principles. And unfortunately we see that. I'm not saying it's easy, it's very difficult to live according to your principle in a society that, uh, and uh, again, I don't have an answer to that. I, I just can only control what, what we are we have within ourselves. I think so that's very important. I want, and, uh, that's it. I promise I'm gonna. Thank you so much. No, I, I, I thank you for your comment. And uh, I mean, I, I don't have an answer to that 
But again, that is one of the benefits of being in a community and being with brothers and sisters because, you know, when we come to be with each other and when we really love each other, right? Love and service, right? Service is the practical manifestation of love, right? The sign that you have love in your heart is that you're serving. And the sign that you have love for yourself is that you serve yourself as well. That's very important. And that you tend to your own needs as well. Um, but one of the benefits of being brothers and sisters, in a very real sense, is that we can also lovingly tell each other, you know, I, I don't think that that was right. I, I think that you made a mistake. And, you know, we also have to welcome that from our brothers and sisters. And, and please, if, if we, when you find, when you find my mistakes, then, then let me know. I, I really appreciate that. And I hope you never feel uh, unable to do that, because I, I really benefit from that. But, oh, yes? I think that there's signs, though, that are available to us, uh, if you're alert. And I can kind of give an example about this. I, I don't do activism, or I'm not partial to collective action, but I'm a civil litigator. My whole area of practice is pro bono. I work for my area's poverty law. So I work for low-income individuals. Um, and I, I, I litigate their cases for free. There was one case I was working on. I'm also a litigator, <laughs> so I want to win. Um, there's one case I was, and so the intention it looks good, pro bono. This is what I do as a Muslim. This is my choice. But the um, but winning can create, I think, ego quite aggressively, especially in the area of law and litigation. There was one case I was working on, and my opposing party was telecommunications company, and the lawyer was very aggressive. But I knew I was on the right side because I only take cases that are uh, right, that, are, that, that I can win. Um, uh, I was reading my client who was dyslexic and had trouble reading. He was very illiterate, but he was an intelligent uh, And I was briefing him, and finally, at three days before his testimony, because this was critical, you have to get it right. Uh, it was about three a.m., and I was just pounding at him. Get it right, you said, get it right. And then finally, he looked at me and he said, What is wrong with you? And it was almost like,
she was able to see the sign. So if somebody was kind of blind as well, his her ego may not have seen the sign. So it's a progression, is that what you said that you were slowly, slowly, one thing leads to another and then we can
How do I serve creation? How do I serve other people? Right? How do I take care of myself? Right? So I believe I, I, I it starts with the knowledge of the self. So, uh, knowledge of how. It's a leading question. So I, I, so cause I, I, heard, I felt like I heard you say that. I'm not too sure, but I heard you say that from the top. And I think you mentioned something. So like with that, like you just mentioned it as well, like other things will come into place, like your like good character and um, uh, having like more control or whatever. Um, my question is like, are those things separate, or does that does it like all start with that like knowing your purpose and existence and following Islam to the T, and then like your life kind of like good character gets to be built with that. The reason I'm asking is because I know people, um, like, uh, and I'm not trying to like be judgy or whatever. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. I'm um, out of here. It's okay. Sorry. I, I, the reason I'm asking is because I, uh, I know individuals who, let's say, can practice Islam to the T, follow, pray religion, pray five times, read Quran, attend five prayers, and their heart can be very, very cruel. And I also know people. I just want to know. I got just for my. I mean, I believe those people. You know, I I asked my sheikh one time. You know, um, you know that there is reciters of Quran, and um, I asked him. You know, like there's certain people who recite Quran and they teach the Quran and they abuse the children, <laughs> and they really do egregious things. And uh, sheikh. Just said, you know, home, you know, they happy little Quran. He said they just memorized some words. They didn't memorize the Quran. They just learned some words. They didn't learn the Quran. And so too it is. Like you're good for you. You have your prayer. You have your fasting, and you can tell what's wrong with everybody else's prayer. And you can tell what's wrong with everybody else, and you can judge other people and all of that, but you don't actually have a prayer. You're not praying. You're just going up and down like the uh, meaningless motions. That's related to what I was saying when I said people sometimes compartmentalize. They are in a setting, they act a certain way, they at work, they forget their principles. Uh, and I, I don't want to even like uh, externalize that, because like I know my own self. And whenever I've seen anybody do something wrong, I'm only one or two steps away from that. However bad it is, right? It's not. It's not hard to hurt people, and it's 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 a huge burden because it's 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 very easy just to give in. It's very easy not to live by our principles, and we do it all the time. And like, what 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 does my prayer mean if I'm hurting somebody? Right? And, and so sorry. I mean, I. I you know, we have to take this very seriously. And like, we all slip up, we all make mistakes, and we all make really bad mistakes from time to time. But you know, that's the value of forgiveness, that, that God gives, keeps that open for us, so that we can turn back, so that we can set right the rights that we've taken away from other people, so that we can, um, you know, set things right, and, and we can move forward on a better way. I think God also instills in us a sense of remorse. And when you're talking about new there's no remorse in that. Most of us, when we're wrong about our behavior, we feel a sense of remorse. That's also a sign. Um, but yeah. And I think that sign that, that triggers remorse is like, that's why I think there's 
one of the things, though, related to that point is that actually, I think Imam Ghazali says later on that nobody knows the reality of the heart. Because the true reality of the heart uh, is something that's beyond our comprehension. Right? And um, there are secrets in that. He says that we don't necessarily need to be privy to those secrets. Uh, but we have enough that we can gain enough knowledge of the heart that will be a practical benefit. Are these secrets related to what Dr. Abdullah mentioned sometimes about the secret uh, well, you know, if I remember, if it's secrets refer to knowledge, but in general, refer to knowledge that is the knowledge of God, and that He has not given access to this creation. Well, God knows. There are certain things that you know, is okay. God is but, but that's what I'm referring to. Maybe we can make this the last question so that we finish at 11:45. Is that is that okay? Or comments or whatever it is. Angry, anger, you can anger too. We'll, we'll just swing this side because uh, I think these folks had their hands up for a little while. And then okay, two if, more questions. Is that okay? Yeah. So we can go ahead. Okay, I was just going to comment that when the question was asked, how do you purify your heart or start purifying your heart? And whether it's a top down approach or a bottom up approach. Um, so one question I always ask myself is, do I live my life to please Allah or not to displease Him? Uh, to sort of avoiding bad things. Um, and always struggling with that because I feel like it's, I'm just living my life so that I don't displease Him. Uh, and one of the very small practical things I started doing that helps me is just to always have do. Well, that's beautiful. Um, so even between prayers and things like that. So it doesn't always have to be this spiritual, metaphorical, top-down, I need to understand. It's simply you understand that you're a limited being with very limited understanding of the universe. And so here's this little thing you know how to do that can protect you. And you just do it all the time. Rather than five times a day, you do it ten times a day and remain in that. And and for me, it's it's I'll be very honest, it's music that... like. I want to listen to music and then try to avoid it. That's kind of the hardest thing um, in the car or whatever running or something. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And thank you for the talk. Thank you. Uh, maybe we can finish with you. Is that right? No, no, please. I was just wondering what are some character traits that attract you to your teachers or people of character? Things we can look into. I mean, in looking for teachers, a person finds different, you know, they say for the seeker of God, who puts things in their right places, all of creation becomes her teacher. If you put things in the right places, if you're always looking for the signs, if you understand everything from the recognition that all of this is an emanation, all of this is a creation of God, and all of this has a purpose for you, then everything around you becomes your teacher. Uh, on a more practical sense, you know, we go to different people for different things. Like if you have a teacher for, um, how to, uh, what's the practical skill that you want? How to, I don't know, change your oil in your car. Right? Or you might have a teacher for 
uh, in medical school or law school. You might have a teacher in some of those things. And likewise, in, 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 in Islam, you might have, within the Islamic tradition, you might have a teacher who teaches you how to pray and how to fast and things like that. You might have a teacher who teaches you how to, teaches you hadith or Quran. And you might also have a teacher or a mentor who gives you good advice and directs you as you grow as a being of the spirit. And for everything that you're learning, there's different conditions and there's different things to look for in that individual. For some things, like when I go to a university class, or when I go to class in school, or whatever the case may be, I'm not generally thinking, you know, I want to learn uh, advanced trauma life support. And in order to learn this, my teacher must be of impeccable character. I don't generally do that, right? I just see, like, what's the, okay, is the teacher qualified? Can I get the certification that I need for my professional reasons? Yes, that's all I look for. And it might be that person isn't a great person. Maybe they are a good person. Maybe they're, you know, maybe you've got friends with them, but maybe they're not a good person. Sometimes you're looking for practical skills. If you want to learn how to pray, sometimes you just need the most qualified person, and they might have other characteristics that don't really appeal to you. Um, but if you want to take a spiritual path and you want to grow in that regard, there are four basic characteristics that scholars mention in looking for somebody to facilitate that. The first is al-intizam Yeah, like following the sacred law. And so anybody who claims to be a spiritual guide or a teacher or something like that and is not following the sacred law, particularly, specifically rather, we mean somebody who's intentionally perverting the law, right? Because everybody makes mistakes, right? People make big mistakes even. And that doesn't necessarily disqualify them. But if they're intentionally saying that, for example, like, I've reached a state where I don't need to pray anymore, or I've reached a state where I don't need to read the Quran or something like that, that is a Dajjal, like, that's something you want to stay clear of. But somebody who follows the, the Sharia, and somebody who follows the sacred law, uh, and somebody who doesn't change the goalposts. In other words, if they miss a prayer, for example, they don't say that, well, I don't, I don't have to pray. Uh, or if, if they fall into illicit sexual relations, for example, they say, well, it's permiss it's okay, it's not a big deal for us anymore. Those things, like, those are big no-nos, right? So basically, they follow the sacred law. And the sacred law shows us how to comport ourselves and how to live and stuff like that. It's like a practical guide. That's the first thing. The second thing is taysiyah. So facilitation. Meaning that this guide or this mentor facilitates things for his or her students. In other words, he or she meets the students where they're at. So there are some people, they're like spiritual athletes. They recite every day 20,000 a 100,000 yellow teeth, and 
I don't know, 10,000 astaghfirullah. And they have families and children and they have jobs. I don't think they sleep. And there are people like that, right? They are not the majority of people. But people like that, they need a teacher who will meet them where they're at and give them like great spiritual rigor so that they can live apart to them and so forth. For the majority of us, facilitating things means that this mentor is somebody who will give you reach. No, it is something that is within your capacity, and it is the whole reason that you're here. God only created you so that you come to Him. So somebody who facilitates is the second thing. The third thing is that they be connected. And that is that this person, this teacher, this guy, has learned from somebody, who learned from somebody, who learned from somebody, who inherited that knowledge directly from the Prophet Right? And to know that they're part of a living, connected, spiritual tradition in, 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 in general. Right? So they're not just like picking up self-help books and trying to direct like, There's a lot of benefit in self-help books, there's a lot of benefit in a lot of literature and stuff like that. But and of course you can always benefit from those things. But this person also has the benefit, the insight of fourteen hundred years of tradition. And, and awareness of the human condition. I'm sorry, the third one is, is having a change. No, no, I understand, but I'm a bit, I hope you don't want me asking. I, I have seen people, sometimes you have a lineage, but the person, by the time 400 centuries passed, the guy is has nothing to do with Islam, but stuff like that. Yeah, so I mean, that's why it's not the sole condition. Right? They have to have a, lineage, a, 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 a spiritual or scholarly lineage, okay. right? But that itself doesn't suffice because if they're not living according to the principles, oh, okay. if they are not, uh, if they're not facilitating things, like they don't really understand the people they're dealing with, and they're giving them impossible expectations and stuff like that, those things also disqualify them as as, as qualified guides. The thing is, these three things you'll find many people with these three things that. They live according to the sacred laws, and they meet people where they're at, and, and they have like a lot of insight into uh, how to raise people and how to empower people. And they also have a chain that connects them to the prophets of You you'll find actually many people who are like that. It is the fourth condition. It is the fourth condition that. There is nobody else in creation except for this one person. And only one person who is different for each individual. And that is the Sila. 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 That's a personal connection. What is the Sila? What is the reality of that personal connection? I've heard different people say different things about it. But one of the things is that you see the shape in you see yourself in the shape and you see the shape in you that you see you have some profound destiny in this person 
And they likewise see that they have a destiny in you. So that must be hard for women if the shift is a man. Well, no, no, I mean, like given. So, sorry, I'm asking this is a really legit question. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes the boundaries. I, I think that that's, that's very valid. And there are female guys just as there are male guys. But gender also doesn't necessarily have to be a boundary or, or a barrier in that regard because ultimately our spirits are ungendered. In practical terms, there are certain challenges, no doubt. But I mean, again, like a person, like that personal connection, like not everybody has to have it with the same individual. It might be your grandfather or your grandmother who just gives you good advice and who's just like, uh, you know, like somebody who's you benefited from their company and you've learned a lot from. Or it might be a friend, or it might be, and it might be somebody who's a sheikh, it might be many different types of people. But it's not going to be that everybody has that very personal relationship with the same person, right? Another way that they said it is that you see yourself in the shaykh and you see that the shaykh sees into you. Like somehow you feel that this individual really understands you and understands where you're coming from. That is a very special relationship to have with somebody like that and it's something that is from the sunnah because of course the Prophet was the shaykh of his companions. He was their guide and their mentor. We live in a time where a person might have a spiritual guide as such. But really, again, the important thing is that when you put things in the right places, for the aspirant, the person who's seeking God, and puts things in the right places, then all of creation becomes his or her shaykh. And then you can begin to benefit from everybody. And then you can begin to see that you know this person... Maybe they have certain flaws, maybe they've made certain mistakes, but they're doing their best. And, you know, there's somebody maybe who can help me along the way. Maybe they have a thing or two to teach me. But they're not going to be perfect. Right? And um, the path isn't about individuals, it's not about people. It's not about this shaykh or that shaykh. The path is about Allah. And when we make the path about individuals, then God often will profoundly disappoint us in that individual. So that we remember, He often, our hearts will be broken. So that we remember that person was never the point in the first place. Or those people, or whatever the case may be. The point was Allah. Anybody who brings you closer to Allah, brings you closer to God, you know, keep that coming. And anybody who turns you away, if it's not working for you, then it's a broken relationship. If it's not working for you, then maybe you don't need to be in that relationship. So, along with Ireland, like this stuff gets kind of polarizing and politicized or something like that. Really, it's just trying to find people, mentors, people that you believe to be good people, people that you believe can help you with certain things that you may be struggling with, and being connected to those people. And having a good opinion of all of creation, living according to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and being of love and service to everybody around you. <laughs>
اللهم اجعل التجمع على هذا تجمع محبوبا وتفرقا بعده تفرقا معصوبا لا شقيا منا ولا محبوبا وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله Can I just make, I'll just make one quick or two quick announcements. One is, uh, as Mustafa said, uh, there's no bouncer at the door, so you do not have to register. But it would be helpful for us to have your information so we can send you the material after the class. Uh, that's one. Two, if you're planning to bring other people next week, uh, also ask them to register, register just so we have a sense of, uh, of numbers. And if they don't like the registration, they can cancel it afterwards. But it gives us a sense of what to expect next week. And uh, finally, we're going to try our best, inshallah, next week to start at 10 and finish at 11.30. So if you can be here a little earlier than 10, uh, it'll give us a good ramp up before we start and end. Uh, Mustafa especially, shout out Mustafa. Um, and finally, you're welcome to stay, kick it, meet with people, have some refreshments, have some water, coffee, and then also order a la carte if you'd like. Thank you. And please also